0: It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element.
1: Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. My guest here on Moment of Truth today is someone that I I don't know if I've ever interviewed Burt Crowfoot before. But Burt certainly has been in the news of late with some great news that's been happening out uh, Edmonton Way and in Alberta. Uh, Burt is the CEO for the AMSA organization that stands for the Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. And I have known Bert for quite some time. I haven't seen you for quite some time, Bert. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You have been the CEO and and founder of AMSA for a number of years. I met you when I was working on Six Nations uh, for CKRZ Radio, a a very similar kind of style radio station that you are heading up. And now uh, you've got an additional, The Raven, that launched. And uh, so we're really proud of that. You must be extremely proud of it as well.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, been an exciting broadcast day. Every day starts with a prayer in mm. one of our five uh, indigenous languages that we work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening day was a prayer in Cree. The uh, next was a welcome song, a, uh, a refresh, a, a new day kind of a song by the mm. Logan Alexis singers from mm. the Nakoda alexis nakoda sioux first nation just west of edmonton mm. so they sang that song there's four of them they're the same guys that do that oiler song for mm. connor mcdavid so mm. they're quite well known mm-hmm. here uh, and they did a powerful song i mean it was just you know made me feel so proud mm. and then uh i did a intro that i had pre-recorded for welcoming everybody thanking staff thanking our engineers thanking everybody that made it possible and uh and then we had four songs and uh like i said that first day i was pacing back and forth like an expecting grandfather you know with the <laughs> coming grandchild and so i uh you know, I was, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I've been in the business for 40 years, so I mm. don't really feel like a new parent, but <laughs> I liken it to a, to a grandparent. And, you know, my the staff we have here and the people working with us have worked really hard to make this possible. So I was really mm. proud of them and proud of the uh, everything that they've accomplished. So anyway, uh, first four songs came on, and we picked them very specifically for a reason. Uh, the first song was... Buffy St. Marie and mm. Universal Soldier. Nice. As you know, back in the '60s, '70s, uh, she was uh, uh, doing a lot of protesting, anti-establishment, mm-hmm. and everything else. And she was blacklisted by a lot of radio stations, yep. by government, by you know the stuff that she went through just to make her statement was mm-hmm. was, uh, was was terrible. And yep. so I uh, we picked that song uh, just so that people listening to the Raven. Uh, is a platform that will never do that to our indigenous people you know we'll mm. give them an opportunity to share their music their heart their passion and everything else mm. so mm. the second song we picked was uh come and get your love by Red Bull. <laughs> nice, nice. And the reason for that is well just because <laughs> 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 you know, it's, it's an iconic classic yeah. song that, that's never lost uh you know over time and yeah. stayed fresh yep. and the third song we picked was was from Shingus, uh, oh, nice Silver nice. River. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason for that is he's been a legend for many years. He recently passed away from yeah. COVID. And we just wanted to honor him. Mm-hmm. So the nice. fourth song was a person that you know very well, uh, Murray Porter. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I consider him the Godfather of Indigenous blues. <laughs> yeah, and, for sure. You know, from from your reserve, Six yep. Nations, and from he uh, now living in Vancouver. Yeah, and so uh, that's that's our first four. Great. After that. that, we went into other other songs. So
1: I'm glad you introduced that to us. Now, the Raven is one of a few stations that you now have running. So, like you said, you're not, you don't necessarily feel like a new parent, but and you also said you've been in this now for 40 years. Bert, can you take us back a little bit and introduce us to when you got started? What was it like when you got started as compared to now, would you say?
0: I uh, originally went to school at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Okay. I was pre-med. Uh, in high school, I had wrestled, played football. I was really into sports. Mm. And while I was at university, um, BYU had about 800 Indigenous students there. And so, here I was, uh, you know, a high school kid right out of uh, right out of school and in a university, and I was having way too much fun. <laughs> and so I decided to change my major major from pre med to physical education recreation. I wanted to coach. I wanted to teach high school. Mm. So I did that and I took all my coaching classes and everything else and and uh, about a year left before I graduated, I, you know, like most young people, you start incurring some debt. So I decided to take a year off and, and pay off some bills and then go back to school. So um, I came back to Edmonton. Uh, I was a silversmith. I was making silver and turquoise jewelry. Mm. And it was kind of like, you know, as a artesian, you, you, uh, you know, it's a feast famine sort of a situation. Mm. You sell a bunch of stuff, you make money, you buy more supplies, and mm. then you starve until you right. uh, sell, a, sell more stuff. So a friend of mine was working at the native people newspaper with Alberta native communication society. And he said, um, you're into sports. Why don't you cover a basketball tournament for me at Picani or Again in southern Alberta mm. so I said sure so I went down and I uh, took photos I um, covered the story came back gave it to him and he was the editor of the native people newspaper and so he liked what I did mm-hmm. Then asked me to cover a hockey tournament at I which is the blood reserve mm. and so I did that then he offered me a full time job <laughs> and because I took a week of Photography and industrial arts in high school, I got thrown into the darkroom. <laughs> so I learned how to become a photographer there and develop film. And and you know I was fortunate to have some really good friends in mainstream media mm. who were very helpful. At whenever I had questions about taking photos, they would mm. help me. So I worked from there, and you know, as you know, with most indigenous news organizations, it's you know uh, revenue is not very dependable. Mm. So. We uh, used to be 11 people working there, and as people left, I would uh, they wouldn't be replaced, and I would just learn how to do that. So mm. I was self-taught you know, how to lay out papers, how to get in the darkroom, how to produce pictures, how to uh, edit stories, um, etc. So pretty soon, we were down to three full-time and one half-time person, mm. and uh, I brought in a salesperson. And this salesperson, we had a deficit back then, and this salesperson came in and started generating revenue. We we uh, cut that deficit down to zero. We, we're in the black now. And so I uh, was feeling pretty good about that. And a new board of directors came in, and there were some differences of opinion between the ourselves and and the new board and of course I got fired for the first time in my life Mm. and so I sat down with my friend who hired me he got fired too and (laughs) the new sales guy and I said "Uh, now what and I said well I kind of like doing this let's let's do it so we started a newspaper in my basement and uh, the sales guy said I like you guys I'll I'll stick with you so (laughs) this new newspaper is called the nation's enzyme which was launched in 1981 and It was like the Edmonton Sun newspapers, we ran, you know, color front page, lots of ads and everything else. And and so after a while, after a year or so, my friend and I parted ways and I put out another magazine called Pow Wow Trail in 1981. And uh, I uh, eventually the people that fired me asked me to come back. So I went back. And then they lost their funding, and so there I was with uh, staff and and nothing. And the opportunity came up to establish a new organization, so I did that, and that was the birth of the uh, Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. And Mm. we got word on April the uh, 11th or March the 11th, 1983, and a week later we put out our first newspaper called AMSA, which later became Windspeaker. Right in 1987 or 85, the Northern Native Broadcast Access Program became available. And so we applied for radio. We were the opportunity of both radio and also um, radio and also uh, television. Mm. And my philosophy has always been, rather than build two and have them both struggle, build one, get a solid foundation, build it to the point where you know it's on its own and 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 functioning very well mm-hmm. and then expand into uh expand into a different uh uh expand into a different um
1: medium or add medium. on to it yeah. yep. so mm-hmm.
0: uh, so that's uh, that's what we did we decided well let's just focus on radio so we did that and uh we started off being an hour on CBC television in the morning. And so, but we were known as the radio on TV, you know, in the old (laughs) days, there was just that screenshot of the Mm. logo and and then our music and everything else behind it. So we started off an hour a day and then two hours a day, uh, an opportunity came up for a distribution program. So we set up 10 small 10 watt transmitters along the Northeast Alberta border. And from there, uh, the distribution program continued for three more years. And every year we put up 12 10 watt transmitters. And um, so eventually we got to the point where we had 48, uh, we added a couple in there. Hmm. And so uh, that was our distribution system. We were also on the uh, CANCOM, the satellite. So all of these were, we broadcast from Edmonton and, you know, and it would go up on satellite and all of these guys would receive it and we re, re uh, broadcast it. Mm. So um, problem with that was, we had seven along the Slave Lake um, shore, and you drive along that highway from High Prairie to Slave Lake and you'd lose us pick us up, lose us mm. pick us up, lose us pick us up. Right. And about that time we started Radio Bingo and mm-hmm. we followed the lead of miss nippy broadcasting in saskatchewan and nci mm-hmm. in uh, manitoba mm-hmm. and we <laughs> refined that and said okay let's they play one game for about 20 minutes uh let's make it a bingo hall experience and so we played about 24 games on our mm-hmm. they have a booklet of seven sheets and each sheet there's uh the first one is two games the next five are four games letter x uh, picture frame two line and blackout mm-hmm. and then the last one is the bonanza and so that one we used to give away at the beginning we made about a hundred thousand a year mm-hmm. and it slowly progressed over the years and when the pandemic hit things went crazy mm-hmm. and so uh, our estimated our estimated uh, projected f- uh, revenue that we'll get this year will be about $6 million. Mm. And so the the things with the thing with gaming and, and uh, radio bingo is that the proceeds can only be used for distribution mm. and we can't use it for, for salaries. Mm. So uh, the problem we had along Slave Lake, we uh, put up a 10,000 watt transmitter at Juice Art and then that we took out the small seven small smaller 10 watt transmitters and moved those elsewhere mm-hmm. and so as bingo revenue continued to increase we put in another ten thousand watt transmitter in the porcupine hills and that covered Picani and kainai uh first mm-hmm. nation in uh in southern alberta mm-hmm. and then over the years we slowly started expanding we uh added a hundred thousand watt transmitter in the uh Moose Hills by St. Paul in Northeastern Alberta. We added a 100,000 watt transmitter in the in Grand Prairie. We added a 30 kilowatt transmitter in Fort McMurray, a 20 kilowatt in uh, Lac La Biche. And then we uh, added a 100,000 watt transmitter in Edmonton. And then four years ago, five years ago, an opportunity came up where licenses became available in, in Alberta and and that you, you benefited from that Mm -hmm. same uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's how your your stations became. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, we, an opportunity came about for uh, and we were successful in getting the license for Calgary and Edmonton. So uh, staying to our philosophy of building one, we built Calgary, And uh, we have a 100,000 watt transmitter there for CJWE. We uh, converted that signal that was going to the Porcupine Hills over to that uh, uh, network. And so that gave us the first of our uh, or another 100,000 watt to our coverage area. So we have waited. We were originally going to launch the Raven in April. And when, when COVID hit, right. uh, we were like everybody else. We didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we downsized a little bit. We laid a couple people off, unfortunately. But we we kind of hunkered down. And like I said, we didn't know if it was going to last a couple weeks, if it was going to last a couple months, a year, or if it was the end of the world. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of mm-hmm. no one knew what was going to happen. And everybody was scared. Mm-hmm. And so... We hunkered down, we shut our office, everybody started working from home and all our on air people were working from home. The only people coming in was our accounting staff and mm. and our bingo staff. Mm. And so our because of COVID, our you know, bingo went crazy because there was no casinos, no <laughs> No VLTs, no, you know, like everything, no bingo halls. Everything. Right. And so we were the only game in town.
1: You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Let's get back to the show. My guest is Bert Crowfoot. He is the founder and CEO of AMSA. And so, you know, there are
0: stories of people lining up, you know, a hundred deep in some of these communities Jeez. to get their bingo cards. And oh. So, um, Anyway, so from there we uh, we uh, kind of hunkered down. Uh, Calgary has become self-sufficient; it's covering its own cost mm-hmm. through advertising and and uh, the revenue from the websites. And so we uh, decided, well, it's let's launch the Raven. We had a one-year extension, and so we're supposed to be on the air this coming June. So we decided, well, let's let's launch in in february so we started Mm. testing january the 11th and then we launched on on um february the first and like i said three days has been been really exciting it's just uh, you know when we launched cjwe in calgary we had some local coverage and it was it was you know it it was good but Mm. the launch of the raven I, i can't believe the the excitement that's out there i mean we've got relic who's a, a local hip-hop artist as our drive mm. show host and between him and brad my son in the hip-hop world there i was what i was reading a feed on a thread online and you know all these artists right across canada and across north america are getting their you know they're trying to get their music in and mm. you know, we've we've got different genres we've got uh i always say everything but country is what the raven's all about because (laughs) cfwe and cjwe are classic country yes there's two other radio stations in both calgary and edmonton that play new country. Mm -hmm. so we go old country and you know the people love it especially the older people up north in the northern isolated communities people you know older cowboys in northeast or in in the country of country or rural areas of Alberta. So we decided with with uh, Raven, we'll do everything but country. And so we've got, you know, pop and Mm. that and we got blues at night, hip hop at night. Uh, We've got uh, the excitement is there from people getting their music in. Mm. uh, People already are streaming online we've uh, we're just waiting for our app to be approved by apple and android and nice. so that i heard today is almost there so we should have an app in a couple of days right the the other apps for cfwe and, and cjwe are at the app store and they're free to download for both right. apple and android
1: nice uh, Bert. It's uh, It sounds great. And you really gave us that wonderful background there. I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest here on the show is uh, Bert Crowfoot. He is the CEO and founder of the Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. That's AMSA for short. We're talking about the uh, basically about the launch of a new station that they just uh, launched this month in February. It's called the Raven and uh, it is at uh, 89.3 and it's in Edmonton now. Is it a lot of block programming that you're running?
0: Um, there is uh, some block programming. Um, when we had originally started with CFWE, we had everything in there. We tried to mix in. Uh, You know, in the northern isolated communities, you have the elders who usually listen in the morning, so we Mm. started off with the whole country. And then towards the evening, it was usually the younger people, so we ended up with, we had hip-hop at night, Mm. different things. So once the Raven started, we've kind of pulled all of that stuff out and just stuck with country for CJWE and CFWE, and the Raven has become the the venue for for everything else. So Mm. when we first started... Uh, like i said i i always believe in starting something building it so yep. when we first started the the uh, cjwe in calgary that was our first new station uh we uh used all of our resources from our uh head organization amps our mm-hmm. finance our accounting our sales and everything else and basically our only cost was the building in, in calgary that we were space that we were renting which is right on Center Street. And uh it's we got a huge window that our studios look out onto Main Street. And we've got decals of indigenous dancers and mm-hmm. one speaker radio right on the window. So we have really good uh, exposure to the public in Calgary. And in the morning we had uh, we had one person uh, starting, and then we eventually we hired an another person that was Everything was being done from Edmonton. We uh, we had our production studio that they worked out of in Edmonton. Once we got our Cal- our studio in Calgary established, we were set up in the boardroom and they were broadcasting out of there where the studio was being built. Mm. Once the studio was built, uh, our Edmonton guy that was broadcasting out of Edmonton moved down there and he was doing the morning show down there. And, we had uh, people uh, that were working part time from Edmonton that were doing the drive, and eventually we hired a drive person. So we've kept our costs down right from the start. Mm. And so, like I said, we've always—I uh, would say—you know—the first couple of years we maybe it, we were at a deficit of maybe fifty thousand dollars, but mm. now we're generating. Uh, uh, we're in the black in Calgary. Our You know, we're making money there. And then when we started the Raven, I had someone ask me, Well, how many full time staff do you have? And I said, We have none. You know, we have a part time person that we hired in the morning. And she's actually uh, our production person, Shannon. Mm -hmm. And so she does the the morning show. And then we hired Bill Relic, who is uh, our Bill uh, LeBlanc, who is named Relic, and he's doing our drive show. And, uh, you know, so our costs, uh, you know, it's right in the AMSA building, which we bought mm-hmm. 25 years ago, mm-hmm. we've, um, the building is paid for. We have, it's 25,000 square feet. So our, uh, studios are, are, are upstairs, both mm-hmm. the Raven and CFWE. Mm-hmm. And so that is not costing us anything as far as rentals concerned. We completely renovated our all of our studios in Edmonton. Uh, the Ravens got a new uh, broadcast uh, studio. We have a new production studio. We also renovated Windspeaker, our uh, CFWE studio and its production studio. So everything is uh, state-of-the-art, and uh, this is all through bingo revenue. Right. And so when uh, we started The Raven, our our only cost is this staff Mm. and it's all part-time staff. So uh, we've already got people uh, calling and and asking about advertising. So it looks like the first year of the Raven will be covering our costs. And after that, we should, once that happens, we slowly start increasing and hiring full-time people. And like I said, with, I'm really blessed to have such an awesome crew of Mm. dedicated, employees who Mm -hmm. are are uh, like i said shannon's working with all of our uh she's the production person for all of our uh Mm -hmm. three stations Mm -hmm. our on-air people have learned production and they're helping out they're all doing interviews with uh, artists with with different people so uh, the other thing that i'm really proud of is that you know with language Mm -hmm. our uh, cfwe has been catering to um, the Cree and and uh, Nakoda languages. And there's five languages in Alberta. There's mm-hmm. Blackfoot, Cree, Nakoda Sioux, Dene, and Michif. So when we added CJW, we, we brought in a lot of Blackfoot speakers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Nakoda Sioux from uh, Morley, Alberta, a uh, young man there, Thomas Snow has been uh, really helpful, him and his mother, Alice, uh, at doing all of our Nakota speakers. So we started off with uh, with splitters in just a language, mm. uh, both Blackfoot and Nakota. and then people would call me or email me and say, what the heck does Sakna Sakna mean? You know, I hear it all the time. And so I said uh, that means 88.1. <laughs> so it all became apparent to us now, if you're a non-speaker or a non-Indigenous person and you've got five languages on the air, it all sounds the same. Mm. So we decided to go bilingual. So mm. all of our hosts now in the morning or in the afternoon will say, okay, which is Blackfoot for hello, mm. or right. which is Cree for hello, right. or which is hello in in Nakoda. So, and so we uh, we started doing bilingual stuff our we have uh, vignettes uh, that are throughout the whole day. You right. know, here's uh, you know, uh, let's go to the powwow and right. then they in Blackfoot. Right. let's go to the powwow and then in Blackfoot right. And then after that we started adding uh, we have voices of our people, which is um, a half hour show and we interview knowledge keepers, ceremonial people, and everything else, and they share stories. And, right. you know, first thing they do is they they introduce themselves and then in English, and then they repeat themselves in the language. Right. And then they go, they start telling their story, but they're going back and forth between English and, and the language. Mm. And what happens is that if you just hear language for 30 minutes, you tune out. Right. And so I had a call from a lady who was listening to a, an elder and she was telling her stories and the lady said you know i pulled up in front of the store and my son and i were going to go in and we had to finish hearing the story so we sat in our car for 15 minutes and listened to <laughs> listened to her finish her story and i just wanted to thank you because it was so interesting <laughs> that's you know, great so that's great stories like that and our first day of the raven mm. you know I, we got a jeremy harp got a call from uh, this elder and she said, I was listening to the show, and for the first time in my life, I heard my Dene language on the air. Mm. And it's been a while since I've been home to high level. And it made me feel so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for mm. bringing that to me.
1: Wow. We'll be right back with more Bert Crowfoot here on this one-hour special of Moment of Truth right after this. Stay tuned. <laughs> Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses.
0: Element. Element.
1: Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And I would also like to welcome our listeners who are on other stations who are also carrying this show, as well as international listeners through our website and or listening through our podcast. So welcome to all. My guest is Bert Crowfoot. He is the CEO of AMSA. He's also the founder of Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. And we're talking to him about a new radio station they just launched called The Raven in Edmonton at 89.3. And it's a pleasure to have Bert on the show. Bert, you're heading up, and you're, like I said, the founder of AMSA. And that includes uh, three radio stations now uh, CFWE in Edmonton, CJWE in Calgary, and you've got some uh, some really good wattage on your towers. That's amazing that you've got that much power. You, you must be covering a very large area. Now with the Raven launched this month on February, and congratulations to you on that. That's also in the Edmonton area. The focus of this station, I understand, is maybe a little bit different. You're, you are going to be broadcasting at least in part... Uh, in five languages that you were referring to earlier. I'm just wondering, you you also talked about the music variation that you're going to be carrying. So how will the Raven be different from the other two stations that you've established? And, and I also, you know, we have to say the Windspeaker, which is the original part of AMSA, which was the print side of things that you launched uh, about 40 years ago.
0: Yeah, that was in 1983. Um... Started off with the windspeaker. Um, it was called AMPSA for the first couple of years, Aboriginal Multimedia Society, which also means big, uh, something big in Cree. Mm. So, uh, but we ran a, a name the paper contest, and Terry Lusty came up with a name mm. windspeaker. So that's been with us for the last 35 years mm-hmm. or so. Um, got into radio. Uh, we did. Start off with CFWE, Start off with smaller transmitters. And you, as you just mentioned, we've expanded over the course of the last well with, uh, through the proceeds of our radio bingo. Uh, right now we have, uh, 750,000 Watts of indigenous power. We I like, it's almost three quarters of a million <laughs> Watts. Yes. Uh, my goal is to reach a million mm. and, uh, We've got uh, Medicine Hat, Left Bridge, and High Level, uh, Hinton areas that still need uh, mm. to be added to the network, and so we're working on those. Uh, once that's done, we'll have the almost the entire province covered for uh, for Windspeaker or CFWE CJWE. And after that, I mean, who knows uh, the opportunity for the Raven to. Right now in Edmonton, we have two uh, 100,000 watt transmitters uh, in our one site. And so, um, you know, after that, uh, I'm just kind of, uh, I guess, dreaming or thinking of where we're going to go next. And, uh, you know, we could have had uh, a, a dual uh, 100,000 watt transmitter in Grand Prairie. Mm. Uh, Calgary, Lethbridge, cetera, so that uh, eventually, hopefully I'm still around, we'll have uh, dual stations in, in covering most of Alberta.
1: That's amazing. In terms of the wattage and the size of the area that you're saying, almost covering the entire province, how do you stand up to other networks in the broadcasting region of Alberta at this point in time with, with the kind of coverage that you have?
0: There's like Stingray has a lot of smaller uh, stations that cover just local communities. Mm. Uh, since the pandemic, they've uh, consolidated uh, several into one and, and are, are doing it that way. Um, but they're all smaller. They're all, uh, I'm just guessing 10,000 Watts mm-hmm. and just covering the local area. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the hundred thousand watt transmitters, as far as I know, we're probably the biggest uh, has has the most power in in probably in Canada. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just guessing. Um, we uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, something I've never thought about. We just oh. we just do it. But um, you so, know, most the mainstream uh, yeah. uh, large market broadcasters are all one 100,000 watt transmitter. Yeah. And they are in Calgary, Edmonton, Lethbridge, yeah. Grand Prairie,
2: yeah.
0: uh, Fort Mac, um, and places like that. With us, we I wanted. I mean, Indigenous people are spread over this whole province. Sure. And I wanted to be able to reach out to and yep. and cover for all of them. And like I said, this is all because of our proceeds from Radio Bingo. Yes. It's, uh, it's I, exciting. It's been a, a godsend for us. Um, and uh, it's allowed us to, be, uh, to reach the point of self-sufficiency a lot faster.
1: Well, you know, bingo, uh, I guess, again, you, you alluded to the fact that you kind of followed uh, NCI and uh, what they're doing. How does the bingo work for you on that scale?
0: Well, when it first started, this would be about 1984. And we used to have uh, NACS meeting, National uh, Aboriginal Communicators. And we'd get together and we'd share stories and what's what was happening over here and, you know, just trying to support each other. And if something's working there, then everybody else will try it. So uh, NCI had a bingo where they were generating $300,000 a year. And I was going, wow. Mm. And the same thing with Saskatchewan. And so in 1985, um, we had a goal-setting session. And during this goal-setting session, it was kind of, when you're when you're doing goal setting and you're brainstorming, nothing's off the table. You just throw it sure. out there, and even though it's people think you're absolutely crazy, <laughs> right? Uh, you still throw it out there, and so that's what we did in 1985. The board, management, staff, we sat down, and you know, someone said, uh, "I want a hundred thousand watt transmitter," and everybody kind of rolled their eyes and said, "Yeah, right, okay." <laughs> Next, and then you know, "I want to make a million dollars a year in Radio Bingo," and same thing. <laughs> it's the kind of reaction, right? right. But at that time, it wasn't realistic. And we kind of just put it on the back burner, but it was always there. Mm. And so when the opportunity came along about 25 years ago to put up our first 100,000 watt transmitter, it was exciting. And all of a sudden, like, wow. And all of these broadcast sites, we've named after our board members. You know, that first one in Moose Hills was named after JP Cardinal, who passed away about Mm. 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. The one in Lacklebish is named after Harrison Cardinal who mm. passed away about five years ago. The uh, one in Edmonton is the Noel McNaughton who's uh, mm. still here mm-hmm. and still still going strong. You know, So we've named the other ones uh, after uh, people who have contributed. Our board member, we're really lucky to have a board. We're uh, uh, a, a different kind of a board and I've had some of the same board members for over 35 years wow and they're all elders now and 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 but back back then we um followed the uh the um how the uh, native communication native counseling services of alberta was structured they have uh Sound like the carver model or they have a board that's not paid for like It's a volunteer board, so there's no honorariums paid to board members. Mm -hmm. They volunteer because they want to be there. Mm -hmm. So we structured our board that way, and so our board costs every year is about four or five thousand dollars, where it's basically covering the costs of hotels and meals and travel for board members to come into Edmonton. Right. We meet quarterly. And I remember when we first started our board meetings, we'd go for eight hours, and I'd come out of there with a major stress headache. <laughs> but after, after Chester Cunningham came on board, and I remember that first board I meeting, he goes, management, 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 management. We're a, we're a policymaking board, let the guy do his job. Mm. And so uh, after that, our board meetings have been, you know, short, an mm. hour and a half, two mm-hmm, hours. Mm-hmm. And so that's been awesome. So like I said, with that, uh, and and dedicated. Like right. I said, some of our board members have been with us for thirty eight years. Mm. and um, so uh, so that's been a, one of the reasons we've been so successful.
1: so the Raven is is the Raven the only station that is going to be utilizing the the five languages that were pointed out that uh, with this launch in terms of the Cree, the Dene, Nakota the Sioux, the Blackfoot, uh, Machif?
0: No. No, the uh, CFWE started off with language Mm -hmm. right from day one. Mm -hmm. And when CJWE started, we learned a lot from our experiences with language with CFWE. Mm -hmm. And so we started with uh, conversational Lakota. We had conversational Cree already uh, on CFWE. And so we just kind of uh, added the languages from Southern Alberta into into the mix. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, like toronto and ottawa it's melting pots of indigenous people from all over the sure, world so sure. we're all over canada and and so uh, same thing with calgary uh people say "Well, why are you broadcasting Cree in calgary well because there's a huge Cree population yep. living in calgary mm-hmm. uh, same thing with edmonton and so because our guys are saying well why blackfoot in edmonton well there's blackfoot people living in edmonton mm-hmm. so what we decided to do is just stay with the five languages in alberta and broadcast them on all three stations. Mm-hmm. And when uh, we launched the Raven, everything was already there from our experiences with CJ and CFWE. Mm-hmm. So it just automatically morphed into it. It was seamless. Uh, we had our uh, our uh, language speakers uh, record all of the splitters, all of the vignettes and all of that stuff for us. And so it was, it was uh, an easy transition because of what we learned from the mm. other two stations.
1: Right. And and you just mentioned your, uh, your speakers that, that uh, translate these, these things into the language for you. Uh, I guess that's another benefit of what you're doing. And I'm, I'm guessing these, these language speakers are being compensated for what they're doing as well. So it's helping with preser- preservation of the language as well.
0: Yes. Uh, we compensate all of our, all of our language speakers, um, you know, they uh, will send them scripts. Mm-hmm. They will interpret those scripts, uh, as you know. With language, uh, uh, English version might take about 15 seconds, but the language component will take about 60 seconds. Yep, because it's a much more descriptive yep. uh, language mm-hmm. than, than English. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we compensate them. Uh, they'll do the 10, 10. They'll, um, translate to 10 scripts for us. And we've got everything set up now, or uh, it's uh, uh, everything is e transfer. Um, yep. So they're paid within within a day or two of, of completing the work. Mm-hmm. The uh, other thing that we've done with our um, uh, voices of our people is we follow, we follow protocols. For example, when we asked the Nakoda, the uh, Logan Alexis, uh, Nakota Sioux Singers mm. to do this morning song for us you know we compensated them. Right. We also sent them blankets and tobacco mm. as part of protocol. Sure. Now yep. uh, when we when we used to do voices of our people in um, in uh, person the elders would come in and we'd set up our recording uh, studios in, in their community or in their home and then we would uh, offer them uh, a blanket and tobacco uh, we started with a prayer we asked them to introduce themselves and who their families were you know and mm-hmm. as uh, as i should have done at the beginning is you know my name is bert crowfoot
2: mm-hmm.
0: my blackfoot name is kayo or bear ghost uh, i was also adopted by the quaquaco people on vancouver island my name there is Cayo which is always giving. And my father is uh, Cecil Crowfoot. Uh, we're descendants from Chief Crowfoot who signed Treaty 7. On my mother's side, she's uh, a Soto from the uh, Key Reserve in Northeast Saskatchewan, uh, descendant from Chief uh, O'Soup uh, on, on that side. So, uh, and that's how our people introduce themselves first mm-hmm. in the language and then in English mm-hmm. and then we start the interviews mm-hmm. so protocols are given they're followed we try to adhere to to all of that stuff when we're when we're uh, especially knowledge keepers and mm. now with covid we kind of mm-hmm. say okay we're, we're we're sending you a blanket and tobacco and here is what we can send it to you and you can call us when you receive the blanket and tobacco, or you, we can like virtually show you a picture <laughs> and if you're agreeable, then we'll mail it to you and then you, you know, you'll get it a right. week or so later. Right. So following those protocols, we make sure that um, we're adhering to our, how we're supposed to approach
1: knowledge keepers. mm Hmm. Nice. Thanks for explaining that. Um, You know, Bert, you mentioned about the early days and about sitting around having some sessions to talk about the future and what people were were possibly uh, hoping for and how far away that seemed at the time. You also alluded to the fact, though, that what came to mind was, yes, it it doesn't cost anything to dream. So, you know, you can dream as big as you want and you throw it out there. But you have gone ahead and you've been able to accomplish a lot of those dreams that people were talking about. So congratulations to you, first of all. You've grown the network, uh, starting out from uh, the Windspeaker magazine to three now, now three radio stations. And you were just talking about the future, Uh, you know, what might that hold? And you said you always like to launch into something and get that off the ground, make sure it's solid and it's self-sufficient, and you can then move on and, and hopefully go somewhere else. You've got print, you've got radio, of course, nowadays, everything is online. Everything is visual. What about the idea of, of doing something in the, the realm of television or broadcasting uh, in, in that area?
0: Well, we, we did uh, dabble in television. Mm-hmm. We produced a four-part uh, television pilot for Omni back in 2000. Mm-hmm. It was called Quest for Buffalo Spirit. Mm. And Omni television um, uh, provided us with the funds to travel to uh, vancouver island to the interior of bc to southern alberta where we sat with uh, with elders and we recorded them and um, one of the things that we spoke about and the sad thing is all of these people that we spoke to are now gone Mm. and in speaking with alan pard and chief adam dick you know there's always been this controversy about recording ceremony recording stuff like that yeah yeah a lot of this stems from residential schools when if you're caught speaking your language or caught doing uh, ceremony Mm -hmm. you were severely punished right and sometimes even died because of it and so our it went underground yeah and and people are saying well you know, don't record don't record right and i i believe that's a result of of residential schools and the priests and the nuns and that sort of thing nowadays I, i'm hearing a lot of the elders saying don't record and i think the they're saying that because of social media you know mm. the nuns aren't going to catch you but someone's going to post it on facebook someone's mm. going to post it on on twitter yep. or something yep. like that so yeah you know we, these ceremonies are sacred so uh, if you're going to record it, you need to record it for the preservation yes. of for future generations. For example, in two in 1960, the Blackfoot people held their last Sundance, mm. and they didn't want to lose it, so they had the Glenbow Museum come in mm-hmm. and record all the songs, record mm-hmm. all the ceremonies, yep. and all that sort of thing. And but the conditions were that it stay in the vaults of the Glenbow and not be released unless permission was given by the historical yes. uh, and, and ceremonial people uh, of Siksika. Mm-hmm. Well, 2000, they wanted to bring back the Sundance, but all of the people were gone. Mm. You know, the, all the headmen, everybody had passed away. So they went to the Glenbow and, you know, there's three other Blackfoot uh, tribes in Southern Alberta, part of the Blackfoot Confederacy, and they all do their ceremonies. Their Sundance is different. Each one is different. Mm. So Sixika wanted to do the Sixika one. So they went to the Glenbow, listened to all the songs, listened to all of the uh, the uh, ceremonies, and they brought it back exactly the way it was 40 years ago. Right. And so that's the important that a lot of our, our people are saying is we need to start recording our elders. We need to start recording stuff. But it has to be done in a respectful way and used to to show and preserve not to entertain right and so uh i've been uh very fortunate to have some elders ask me to record stuff and i've done that and i I've, I've kept it i don't post spiritual images yep. or spiritual stuff sure. on, on social media sure. so but uh, but anyway um the, these elders have all gone now so yeah
1: Bert, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I'm glad that if anyone is listening out there that might be working with indigenous people in this regard, uh, they should take heed of what you just said because it is something that should always be dealt with. Should those questions should always be asked when things are being recorded? I, I know myself from my own community. You know there were questions around the the same reasons. You know that you know that we shouldn't be recording this stuff. One because it was it's an oral practice, so it shouldn't be captured, but for exactly the reasons you said, there were other people in the community that said, we need to document this because we're losing the languages, we're losing the ceremonies, and there won't be anyone around to to preserve it if we don't capture this. So it is, like you say, something that should be done with respect and should be done in the correct way so that it is, um, it is captured and archived and has the same kind of protocols that you were talking about being built up around it, so that it o- is only done for certain things in certain ways uh, and at certain times. So uh, appreciate you you saying all of that.
0: Well, especially with this pandemic, I was just reading a thing this morning on uh, one of the news feeds uh, about indigenous COVID and in indigenous communities, and they were saying there's uh, mm-hmm. something like uh, four or five hundred deaths. Yeah. COVID. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know our elders and knowledge keepers are vulnerable because they're all you know up in that age group with the compromised health yep. conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So, you know, uh, COVID to a young person might not be as deadly as it is to an elder. Yeah. So, uh, so it's important, especially now, that we try to record and I, I tell people, you know, go out, record your elders. Uh, follow protocols so that uh, you know you're offering tobacco or make Mm -hmm. an offering or whatever your Mm -hmm. your own traditional protocols are followed yeah i mean stuff that we that that is happening in Alberta is very different than what's happening in in Ottawa or in yeah. Toronto or in, in Ontario.
1: And it's like you say that's the very reason why some of these isolated communities are also vulnerable. Once it gets in there, uh, we also we all know about housing conditions in many reserves. And like you say, it could it could have a, a devastating effect on many of these communities and language speakers, knowledge keepers, uh, which is why I believe the attention is being given so much to try and protect the communities as best we can
0: well we have to evolve we have to uh, for example you know you always met face to face Mm -hmm. but with covid now you've got uh zoom Mm -hmm. you've got you know chrome you've got all these other uh, avenues to record people to see them face to face you've got that mask of sorts in the computer screen between you and, and the person <laughs> right? and you can you can show them the blank you can show them to the backhoe and then you can i mean it's not the way i it ideally should be right because i you know in person is always the best but you in in this day and age in order to protect them you need and yourself mm-hmm. you need to follow or you need to do what you have to do.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And Bert, the the Raven, the new station that was just launched, uh, you've got some wonderful pictures, not only of the Raven station itself, the physical building. As you say, they were all revamped. You've got state-of-the-art equipment in there. They look amazing, and congratulations on that. You've got those wonderful prints that are on the walls as well.
0: Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Hey. Yeah, I took all of those. Did you? Yep.
1: Oh, well, of course, because you have, the, you've got the <laughs> photography background. <laughs> I
0: actually just had a request from someone who saw the prints and they asked for copies. So, I've actually managed to sell a couple of uh, sixty-inch by sixty-inch canvases to. Oh, some,
1: nice. To someone. <laughs> Oh, that's that's really funny how, they, uh, how the how those all these talents that we never think about in our early days and how they translate and how they move us forward and come back, and we're able to use them and and help out uh, in different ways later on.
0: Well, as I mentioned earlier, the reason in like, for example, Calgary, you see pictures of teepees, right? Mm. Well, that's our lodges. Right. and our lodges is where we tell stories mm. and where we share stories with with people. So, Our studios are our lodges, the place where we tell stories. Mm. And the reason that if you look at some of the images of the people on the walls, the elders, the the women, the dancers, the youth, the the adults, you know, that's who we're talking to. And it's just a reminder to our on-air staff that this is your audience. This is when you're saying something. You know, it's always best to sit across from somebody and look, them, mm. look at them. Well, mm. this is an opportunity for us staff to, mm. to look at who they're speaking to. All
1: right, Bert, you mentioned the board as well, and you said you've had some people on there uh, 35 years. Uh, how large of a board is it that you have?
0: We have uh, seven members. Okay. And when we structured our board, it was for Alberta. So we tried to have a balance between male and female, mm. treaty uh, Métis, uh, non-status, mm. uh, north, so we had regional representation, someone from the north, someone from southern Alberta, and uh, so that's been the formula that we followed, and it's it's it's, it's worked for us. Mm. Like I said, we've had some very dedicated, very awesome board members who are there because they want to be there, mm-hmm. because they want to contribute, mm-hmm. and so uh it's been it's been awesome it's because of well you know the the whole organization has been successful right from the top because of the the people at at the board level because of the management level because of the the staff Mm. you know the staff believe in this they put their heart and soul into into all of these new projects they're you know to see them beaming and to see the the smiles on their faces through Zoom, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just to be able to know that they're so happy that that this uh, that we've reached another milestone in our in our history in our growth as an organization.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a great story, Bert. Congratulations to you and, uh, AMSA. It, it's just such a wonderful story to hear about. You've got this new station, the Raven, that's just launched and you just continue to grow. You, you do us all proud. So, uh, niawa, Chimigwech, and really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show and, and share the stories that you did with us. And we wish you all the best in the future.
0: Well, thank you for giving us the opportunity to share, um, you know, I've always stayed in close contact with your, uh, with your uh, administration, mm-hmm. and Dave Charles, and, yep. And you know, we Dave has come out and visited, and you yep. know, we tried to, like I said, what works for us might work for you, or mm-hmm. what works for you will, will work for us. So it's a, it's working together, trying to build each other up, and and uh, uh, you know, the all of us, we belong to a. Organization called the Canadian Association of uh, Aboriginal Broadcasters, mm. of B.C., Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and mm. Ontario. And it's the only way we're going to succeed is to work together.
1: And that is our show for today with my guest, Bert Crowfoot. He is the founder and CEO of AMSA. See you tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with
2: David Moses.
0: Element. Element. Element FM.